knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. In the last 10 years, I have seen a lot of growing animosity towards our government, towards our governing authorities. Many in our country have voiced in very strong words their disdain of the last two presidents that we've had. And uh, the level of respect, the level of submission to governing authorities is definitely decreasing and you know, the view of those who hold the law and order, the police, is definitely probably the, the worst that I've seen it in my lifetime. And so we're living in a time where many Americans have some big problems with those that govern over us. And it brings up a very important question for each one of us as Christians. And that is, as Christians, what should our relationship be like to the government? How should we respond to the government, to those who are leading over uh, us in a governing way, and uh, especially those that we have issue with? And so here at the start of Romans chapter 13, as Paul has been dealing with different relationships, now the relationship that he is going to focus on in the first seven verses of this chapter is our relationship to the government. And of the 10 relationships that Paul deals with in chapters 12 through 16, I have discovered that, you know, for many Christians, this is the one that they know the least about. Uh, And this is one where so often they do not have a biblical perspective in their view of the government. Um, And let me just quote Ray Pritchard, who says this, It is often said that God only established three institutions, the home, the church, and the state. In so doing, he gave us explicit instructions on how all three were to operate. Most Christians know a great deal about what God has to say about the home and church. We know much less about what God says about the state and how we should relate to it. God is the one who established the institution of the home, the institution of the church, the institution of the government. And as Ray Pritchard says, you know, most Christians, they know a lot about the first two. You know, if you talk to people about, especially probably the most well-known is what God has to say about the home. And you would talk with people and they know, you know, what the Bible says about how to have a godly marriage, how to be godly parents, how to be godly children, what the Word of God says in those areas. It's often taught, you know, many Christians are very familiar with that institution and the way in which we should live within it, and the church as well. You know, how it functions, the different gifts that God has given, the purpose of it, why we should gather. You know, those are things that are often understood as well. But when it comes to this institution of the government, I find that not nearly as many Christians have the same kind of understanding biblically as they do in the home and in the church. And so what Paul is going to challenge us with in our relationship with the government, it's very important for us to understand. Uh, And as we've seen with each one of these relationships, Paul is not giving us some exhaustive list. When he talked about our relationship with God, he shared two challenges. If we went through the Word of God, we could have a thousand challenges in our relationship with God. So he's not giving us some exhaustive list of these are all the ways in which you should relate to other people, to God, to the government. He's just giving actually in this one command, One specific command that you and I should do, but if we would understand this command and more importantly apply it, all the other things that the Word of God has to say about our relationship to the government would be so much easier if we actually did this one. I think this is the hardest one, and Paul deals with the most difficult one because it kind of sets the tone for everything else the Word of God has to say about how we should relate to the governing authorities over us. And so in these seven verses, we're going to look at uh, 
dealing with our relationship with the government, Paul starts by giving us a command for how we should um, relate to the government. And then he's going to share with us four reasons why we should obey this command. And then he's going to give us three practical ways that we can obey this command. So hopefully by the end of it, you'll know the command, you'll have motivation, reasons for why you should do it, and you'll have some practical ways in which you can put it into practice. So Paul's sharing with us what to do, why to do it, and how to do it. And that's great, because those are the three things that we want to know. What are we supposed to do? Why should we do it? And then ultimately, how do we do it? And he shares all of those things with us, but they do us absolutely no good if we don't do it. If we just leave here with saying, okay, I understand that, I understand why I should do it, I even understand how I should do it, but I'm not going to do it, then we've missed the point. Uh, the whole point of this is for us to put this into practice like any other portion of Scripture. And so let's start by reading these seven verses, and then we'll get into the command that Paul gives us as we have this relationship with the government. It says this, starting in verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So Paul starts off giving us this command. In our relationship with government, here is the command for you and me. Here is what God says he wants from us in that relationship. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now this Greek word here translated subject means to subject oneself to another, to obey, to submit to another's control, to yield. So Paul says, let every soul, which includes everybody. So every single person, which also includes all of us as Christians, everyone should be subject. They should be willing to obey and submit to the governing authorities over them. Paul wants us to see here in our relationship with the government, one of the things that we need to be doing, and it's one of the most important things that sets the tone for all the other commands that God gives us, is we need to submit to and obey the government. Now, before anyone throws out two excuses that I want to address, the first one is, well, if Paul would see the state of the government that we live under, he wouldn't have said this. Well, let me remind you of the government that was in control when Paul wrote this letter. It was the Roman government that was in control. And the man who was in control while Paul wrote this was Caesar Nero. And let me give you a little history of Nero so you can see the kind of man that was in charge at that time. Nero came to power when he was 16. He was pushed there by his manipulative mother. When he was 17, he poisoned a friend at court. At 18, he plotted to kill his mother and tried three times and failed, and finally the fourth time he succeeded and murdered her. His own Senate started to rebel against them, so he forced most of them to kill themselves. He quickly gained a reputation for being cruel and ruthless. But his greatest cruelty was unleashed on Christians. You see, Nero set a good portion of Rome on fire, and instead of taking responsibility, he blamed the Christians. And that set off the really the official persecution of Christians at that time. And he persecuted Christians unmercifully. He would dip them in oil and he would make them into human candles. And they would go across the city. You walk around and you see people burning. He fed them to wild beasts, to the fans that watched. He had them slaughtered by gladiators. His reign was for 14 years as emperor, and then he took his own life at age 
31. His legacy was one of the cruelest men to rule Rome and one of the worst persecutors of Christians. Now, Rome was not only ruled by this very ungodly, wicked person, but Rome itself was a pagan, wicked place. In that time, slavery was rampant. Over half the people in Rome were slaves. Abortion was flourishing. Homosexuality was accepted as normal. And the masses were idolaters, that they worshipped Caesar as God. If you look through history, no government in America has ever been close to being as pagan or as ungodly as Rome was. And this was the government that Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells his readers, who are Romans, to submit to. Submit yourself, obey this ungodly authority, this ungodly man. Remember, many of the people that Paul is writing to, they would have had family members, have been killed because of Nero, because of this government. They themselves, many of them would have been in prison, would have been tortured. So the government of Paul's day was much worse than ours, and the challenge for them back then is the same for us today. Submit to and obey the government. I think another important thing to notice here is Paul doesn't tell us there are certain forms of human government that we must submit to and obey, and other forms that we get to not submit to and obey. He just gives this blanket command to obey all governing authorities. Ray Pritchard said this, In this passage, Paul is thinking about human government rulers, kings and queens, emperors, magistrates, presidents, and dictators of every variety. Please understand a crucial point. Paul is not thinking about any one particular form of human government, such as democracy, aristocracy, monarchy, or socialism, communism, or dictatorship. Paul is not saying that only American democracy is ordained by God. He is speaking in broad, general terms about all human government anywhere in the world. So the command of the word of God that he says, hey, in any government that you're under, you need to submit to and obey the governing authorities. Now, you might not like the governing authority that is over you, but that does not change the command that we are given. And so the command that we're given, everyone must obey, submit to, and obey their governing authorities. But now I want to deal with an even bigger issue. Since God commands us to obey governing authorities that are ungodly, I mean, as we see here with Nero, I mean, if that's going to be the command, well, it brings now a question to us as Christians that's very important, and I want to throw out a couple of them that maybe is coming to your mind right now. What do you do when the government tries to get you to do something that's ungodly or unbiblical? What do you do when the government makes laws that go against the law of God? Do you still submit to them? Do you still obey them. No, you do not submit to the government and obey the government when they are making laws and commanding you to disobey God. John Stott said this, the principle is clear. We are to submit right up to the point where obedience to the state would entail disobedience to God. But if the state commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands, then our plain Christian duty is to resist, not to submit, to disobey the state in order to obey God. Now let me make two things very clear when it comes to when it's okay to disobey the government, because we have this command that we should submit to and obey, and I'm giving this get-out clause of when we actually don't have to, but I want to make two things clear. First is the only time you don't submit to and obey the government is when they are requiring you to do something that is clearly against what the Bible tells us. And let me emphasize, clearly against what the Bible tells us. Not just because you don't like it, not because it's not you're not a fan of it. No, it has to be something that the Word of God clearly says, no, you cannot participate in that, or no, you must do this, and they're telling you not to. So you need to have a biblical foundation for why you are saying, no, I'm not going to obey this, let me give you a couple examples. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 tells this. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
This is a great verse that is telling us that we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as Christians. The Word of God is saying, hey, don't forsake what we're doing right now. When you get together, when you worship God together, when you receive from God's Word together, when you encourage one another, when you build one another up, the Word of God clearly says, don't forsake that, as is the manner of some. Some people neglect coming to church. Some people don't do it. And the Bible says, that shouldn't be you. As a Christian, this is something that you should do. Now, the reason I bring that verse up is because there are many countries in the world today that have laws on the books that tell their uh, people in their country, you cannot have a church. You cannot worship God. You cannot join together and do that. And so today, Sunday, there are millions of people right now meeting in underground churches, meeting illegally together because the government said, no, you can't do this. And they said, God's word says I must do this. And so I am going to obey God over obeying you because you're telling me to disobey God. And so they're saying, no, we're going to have an underground church. We're going to do it secretly. We're going to get together anyway, even though the government is telling us not to. And in doing that, disobedience to the government, it is biblical and it is right. Why? Because the government has asked them to disobey God and therefore they must obey God over the government. An example that I'm sure many of you are familiar with in the word of God, King Nebuchadnezzar was a very arrogant man, very powerful man, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to build this huge statue of myself, and I am going to have people come out, and I'm going to command them to bow down and worship this statue of me. Well, that's a problem, because God's word says something about that in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Well, God's word couldn't be any clearer that you're not allowed to bow down to idols. You're not allowed to worship anything but the true God. And so Nebuchadnezzar says this and people start doing it. But there's three men, I'm sure you remember their name if you went through, you know, as a kid, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, no, we're not obeying your command, king. Well, wait a second, the king's the governing authority. We're supposed to submit and obey, not when he's asking you to do something that clearly goes against God's word. And so they say, no, we're not going to do it. And even if you kill us because the threat was you bow or I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace, they said, you know, you can do that. Our God can protect us, but even if he doesn't protect us, we're not going to do it. We're not going to disobey God to obey you. And once again, they were right in that. There was a biblical response not to do what the government was saying because what the government was saying was something that clearly, clearly went against what God's word teaches. We see this in the book of Acts with Peter and Paul. Notice what happens with them and notice their response. I think it's an important thing for us to note. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 17, says, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name, speaking of the name of Jesus. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. Peter and John, God uses them to do this miracle, and now they get brought before the religious leaders who had just crucified Jesus, and they're preaching about Jesus, and the religious leaders are all upset, and they say, you cannot preach about Jesus anymore. And basically they just say, hey, who should we obey, you or God? Well, we're going to obey God. We're not going to obey you. You can tell us not to preach in Jesus' name all you want. We're still going to do it. And once again, we see that was right. That was biblical because the governing authority, which was the religious leaders there, were asking them to do something that went against what God's word clearly says. So when the governing authorities try to enforce laws that go against the law of God, we must obey the law of God and disobey ungodly governmental laws. So God's law always comes before man's law, and this is true of any role of submission. 
You know, you have wives submitting to their husbands biblically, but not if the husband is asking a wife to do something that's unbiblical. If a husband asks a wife to do something unbiblical, says, you know what, why don't you cheat on the taxes so that we can get more money back? No, I'm not going to obey that because that's against what God's word says. I want you to do this or that. If a husband asks a wife to do something unbiblical, she's not commanded to obey. She's commanded to obey God before her husband. Children are commanded to obey their parents, submit to them. But if a parent is asking a child to do something that is unbiblical, then that child needs to obey God before their parents. And so in all these relationships of submission, always obedience to God comes first. And that's definitely in the case with government as well. And so the first thing I want you to clearly understand when disobeying the government is it's only when the government is requiring you to do something that's clearly biblical. You have a verse that you can come to and say, the word of God says this, and so therefore I'm not going to obey. Because I bring this up because I've heard so many Christians who just have their own personal feelings and have no biblical basis for disobedience, and that's wrong. You can't just disobey because you don't want to and you don't like something. you got to have a biblical reason for it. The second thing I want to make very clear is it's only in that ungodly thing that the government is trying to get you to do that you get to not submit and obey. So if the government says, you know what, you cannot preach the gospel anymore. Well, obviously the word of God clearly tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's a command of God. We have to do it in obedience to God. So if the government says no, then we need to do it. But what we don't get the privilege to do is say, I don't have to obey anything else the government tells me to do either. Since they said I can't preach the gospel, I won't obey them there, and I'm not going to obey this, and I'm not going to obey that. No, we don't get a blanket disobedience only in the area where the government is going against the word of God. And I've seen that as well, where Christians say, well, we are in an ungodly government, so I'm not going to submit to anything. That's not what the word of God says. It says you can only not submit and obey when they are asking you or commanding you or putting a law in the books telling you to do something against the word of God. In that particular area, you are free, biblically, not to obey. But in any other area where it's not going against God's word, we're required as we are told here, to submit to and obey the government. So the command that God gives us in our relationship to the government, I'm going to clarify it so that we understand. Everyone must submit to and obey their government authorities except when they ask us to disobey God. Now, Paul knows that this is a difficult command. He knew that many people would struggle with this, and so he does something that I love that's a pattern of his writings. He's now going to give us four reasons why. Maybe you're saying, I don't know if I could do this. I'm not really motivated to do this. You see who's in charge or whatever. Well, let's get some reasons why, things that should encourage us, things that should motivate us to do what God's word commands us to do. The first reason for why we should submit to and obey the government is in the remainder of verse 1, which says this, For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Here Paul shares with us one of the most important reasons for why you and I should submit to and obey our governing authorities. Because every governing authority in this world, whether it's presidents, kings, queens, princes, emperors, prime ministers, whoever, whatever person in leadership, are ultimately given authority and appointed by God and serve in his ultimate purpose. So nobody comes into governing authority apart from God. No one just kind of pops in there and God's like, oh, I didn't know who that, how did that happen? God is the one in control of it all. That means here in America, every president, starting from George Washington, including, you know, Barack Obama, including Donald Trump, whatever part of the political aisle you are, I'm sure you prefer one over the other, but all of them came to that governing role of president by the authority and by the appointment of God. Wicked Nero, Caesar of Rome, came to that position of Caesar by the authority and appointment of God. King Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed the temple, brought all of the Jews out of Israel and put them into captivity in Babylon, built that huge statue and told people to worship it, he was given that Rule of king by the authority and appointment of God. 
Jeremiah 27 clearly tells us this. Verse 4. Thus the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are on the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arms, I have given it to those whom it seemed proper to me. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and the beast of the field I have also given him to serve him. Notice God says, you know what? He gave the rule and the kingdom to whom it seemed proper to him. I'm looking around, who is it proper to me to give this to? I choose wicked, ungodly Nebuchadnezzar to rule. And notice that God says he's my servant. Why is he God's servant? Not because he chose to be God's servant, but because God placed him in that role for the purpose that God had for him to achieve. Now, I want you to note something as you read through the Bible and you see why God did this. God put Nebuchadnezzar, you're thinking, oh, how could God put an ungodly person in rule, especially a guy like this? Well, it was judgment. It was judgment to the nation of Israel. They were ungodly. They were worshiping idols. God kept warning them, prophet after prophet, telling them, change your ways. They didn't, so God says, fine. I'm going to put this man in charge. And he's going to come and he's going to destroy the temple and he's going to remove you from the land and he's going to put you into bondage in Babylon and that is going to be your punishment for your continual disobedience, for your continual idolatry. And so we need to understand something because we had this thing in our mind of God would only put a godly person in the power. God would only put you know some great Christian in the power. That's not the case. We see throughout Scripture that God puts lots of ungodly people in the power, and oftentimes the reason for that is to judge the people of the nation who are so ungodly. We see this with Nebuchadnezzar. He was brought to this position to rule and reign, ultimately to punish the nation of Israel for their ungodliness. And you know what? Even at the beginning where the nation of Israel finally gets a king, they were a theocracy. They were ruled by God. If you want to think, well, what's the best government? It's not the government we have. The best government is the government that Israel had. God's your ruler. That's it. You follow him. Israel had that, but they said, you know what? We want to be like all the other nations and have a king. And Samuel's all upset and say, no, don't do it. Keep God. And God says, you know what, Samuel? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And I'm going to give them what they want. And he gives them King Saul. And then they have a whole line of horrible kings. It was a punishment to them. You want to reject me as the one that you follow? Fine. I'll give you a leader. I'll give you someone. I'll give you what you want. But sadly, often what we choose is an ungodly, wicked person to lead us. And God says, fine, I'll let you have it. But realize when they get into that authority, it's because God has allowed it. God has appointed it. He's the one in ultimate control. And so we need to realize that all of our leaders, they're there because God has done that. Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, thought he was so great, ultimately allows Jesus to be crucified. But he and Jesus have this conversation, and Jesus says something very important that I want you to take note of in John 19, 10 and 11. Then Pilate said to Jesus, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Jesus was being silent as he's being interrogated and he's brought to all these people and finally he stands before Pilate and I'm sure everybody who came before Pilate who was, you know, there to be crucified begged for mercy and Jesus doesn't say anything. And Pilate's like, aren't you going to talk to me? Don't you see who I am? I have the power to kill you and I have the power to give you life. And Jesus' response is, the only reason you have any power is because God gave it to you. You could have no power over me if it wasn't given to you from above. Jesus wants us to realize that's the only reason Pilate has power, Nebuchadnezzar has power, President Trump has power. You name the the person who's in charge, they only have it because God is the one who gives it. And this truth is the first reason why we should obey God's commands to submit to and obey our governing authorities because all authorities that exist are from God, appointed by God, and we need to submit to them with that recognition. God has allowed this, and I'm going to submit to what God has allowed. You see, our submission and obedience to the governing authorities that God has placed over us is ultimately a submission and obedience to God himself. 
And when we do not submit to and obey the governing authority to over us, we're not submitting to God who's commanded us to do it, who's given those people that authority, who's appointed them in that role. So the first reason why we should submit to and obey our governing authority is because God has appointed and given authority to our governing leaders. So in obeying them, we are obeying God. The second reason to motivate us, to challenge us, to respond the way that we should in submitting to our government is in verse 2. It says this, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For those people who think, you know what, I don't care, I'm not going to submit to the government, there's so many issues that I have with them and the leaders and this and that, and they're making a choice to say, I'm not going to do it, What Paul says is very important, because when you don't obey the governing authorities over you, but instead you resist them, Paul tells us two things. First, you're resisting the ordinance of God. The Greek word here translated ordinance means a creation or institution. You see, God is the one who has created the institution of government. There are a lot of man-made institutions in the world today, but the government is not one of them. That is one that God created. That is an institution that God has designed, and he created the institution of government for a very good reason, which we'll see in verses 3 and 4. But what Paul is revealing to us here is that when we resist the governing authority, we are resisting the institution of government that God has created. And one of the main reasons that's a bad thing to do is because what Paul says next, those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. God's created this institution. He's allowed these people to be in the role that they are. When we disobey them, we bring judgment upon ourselves. And this judgment is twofold. The first part of judgment is the judgment that comes from God. He's the one who has given the authority, given the appointment, established the institution. And when we disobey, we're ultimately disobeying him. And in any disobedience, God brings his judgment Upon us. And so, if we disobey, the first aspect of judgment that we need to recognize will come from God. And this is the second reason why we should submit to and obey the governing authorities, because God will judge and punish you when you disobey His command to submit to the institute of government that He created. Now, there is another way that we will be judged, another way that we will be punished when we disobey the governing authorities over us, and that is clearly spelled out to us in verses 3 through 4, which also tells us really God's main purpose for why he created the institute of government. Notice what it says. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Here Paul gives us the ultimate role of government. And if you were to go out into America today and you were to ask, what's the role of government? You would have a slew of different answers and thoughts of, you know, from how much they should do to how little they should do. But here Paul reveals there's two main reasons God brought this institution of government together. And as you see this, you realize that we've kind of made it a lot bigger than God ever intended. But notice he tells us these two roles is first to punish evildoers. And second, to praise and protect those who do good. That's the main role that God had brought the institution of government in, to punish evildoers and to praise and protect those who do good. You know, God knows that this world is full of sinners. And to hold this world's sinful tendencies in check, God established the institution of government to punish evildoers. And this is such a vital institution for any society to have. When you do not have this, when you do not have governing authorities that are there to punish evil and protect good people, you have huge problems. Imagine if there were no laws against murder, against rape, against stealing, against any type of violence. Imagine if there were no police officers to help protect you. No 911, no one's coming. Imagine if that didn't exist. 
Imagine if there was no military to stop other nations from coming and wiping us out. Our society would definitely be a very scary place to live. God knew this, and that's why he created the institution of government to punish evildoers, but also to praise and protect those who do good. And we appreciate that. We're law-abiding citizens, and we're happy that the government is there to protect us from those who are not the law-abiding citizens. It is through the just punishment of evil that the government serves its function in God's plan, holding man's sinful tendencies in check. Now, when a government fails to do that, which many governments do, not all governments, you know, are there are many corrupt ones who actually do not protect the good, but take advantage of them, who do not punish the evil, but give them a break, you know, but they then become under God's judgment. And so when they don't do what God intends them to do, then God will deal with them. And you see that through history, have God has dealt with those who get it backwards. But ultimately God's saying, hey, the role here is you punish evil, you protect good, and it makes things work well. So Paul says, you know what? You are not a terror to people, or the government's not a terror to people who do good, but to people who do evil. So if you don't want to be afraid of the government, then obey the laws. Do what's right. And if the government's functioning like it should, you got nothing to worry about. They're not coming for you because you're a law-abiding citizen. But he also gives a warning. If you do evil, you should be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil evil. So Paul's saying, hey, if you do good, there's nothing to worry about, but if you do evil, there's a lot to worry about because of the role that God has given to the government. When you break the law, those in authority are God's ministers, that he has placed in that role. Why? To execute wrath and punish you. That's one of their main roles, and so you should be really aware of that because if you're going to go ahead and disobey the government, you're going to suffer the consequences because they're in that role to punish those who do that. Now, it's interesting, I want to throw this out there, when Paul says, for he does not bear the sword in vain, this is speaking of capital punishment. The sword there was used to behead people. And you only beheaded in Roman, Roman citizens. We think of back then the way to execute people was through crucifixion. The Romans only crucified non-Romans because it was so brutal and horrible. If you were a Roman citizen, it was against the law to be crucified. You would be beheaded if you had done a crime deserving of death. Jesus was not Roman. He was crucified. Paul, on the other hand, was a Roman citizen, killed by Rome, and they beheaded him. Because he was a Roman citizen, they couldn't crucify him for that purpose. Peter, on the other hand, wasn't Roman, and he was crucified upside down. And so you realize this reality, but it says he does not bear the sword in vain. It's a specific reference to capital punishment. Like, hey, they have this role. They could take your life. Be aware of that. Be aware of the power that the government has to punish evil. So the third reason why we should submit to and obey our governing authority is this, because the governing authorities are God's ministers of judgment, and they will judge and punish you if you disobey them. I mean, we know this. When you're driving down the road and you're speeding and you see a police officer, do you hit the brake or hit the accelerator? You know that you're getting a ticket if you don't slow down. We recognize the reality of they're there to punish us, and it's a good thing. It keeps people in check. If there were no police officers, we'd all be going 150 down the road and having way more accidents, and you know many more crimes would exist as well. But we need to realize, hey, if you disobey... If the motivation to obey God's not enough, well, maybe the opposite's enough. God will judge you, and the government will judge you. So hopefully that is enough to motivate you to do what's being told here. But there's also a fourth reason that Paul gives us for why we should submit to and obey the government in verse 5. Therefore, you must be subject to, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. You and I need to be submissive and obedient to the government, not just because of the wrath of God that will come or the wrath of the government that will come. But Paul says, you know what? There's a better reason to not do this. There's a better reason to be obedient and submissive, and that's for conscience' sake. God has given us a conscience to help us know what is right and wrong. And so Paul's communicating, hey, you know what? Don't just, you know, Obey the government so that you won't be punished. 
That, that shouldn't be the main motivation for why you do it. And with our kids, we see that. You know, I want my daughters to do what's right because it's right. And they know it's right. And they just want to do what's right because they have a desire to do what's right. But oftentimes, that's not the reason they do what's right. They do what's right because if they do what's wrong, they're going to get disciplined. And they're fearful of discipline, so it keeps them doing what's right. Too often, the only reason we obey the government is because of the consequences that come if we don't. And what Paul is saying, you know what, there's a bigger reason. We should ultimately obey because it's right. It shouldn't just be because we're going to have some consequence and some judgment from God or from the government. We should do it because our conscience, which is led by God, reveals this is right. And we should do what is right as opposed to just think, well, I'd rather do what's wrong, but since I'm going to be punished, I'll do what's right. Paul says that shouldn't be the ultimate reason. But if that's the only thing that motivates you, that's why he throws it out there. For some people, you know, that is the biggest motivator is punishment. And so Paul says, hey, do it because if you don't, you will be punished. But here he says, do it for this reason. Because our godly conscience tells us to and we should follow what is right. So now that Paul has given us the command and he's given us four reasons why we should obey it, four reasons why this is important to do, now he's going to finish with the how, the practical. Okay, well, well, how do we do this? And once again, he's just throwing out a couple ideas. I mean, we could have a huge list of how do you submit to and obey the government, but Paul just throws a few, a few big ones for maybe some of us, but we're going to look at these and remember they're not exhaustive, but they're a good place to start. Verse 6. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to the very, this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Notice Paul says, for because of this, because of all that I've just shared, all four of these reasons why you should submit to and obey the government, now we get to this application. There are four things you should render to those in authority over you. There are four things you should give that are due to them. And I just made it a list of three because two of them are pretty much the same thing. And so he gives us a list. The first in this list, the first two are taxes and customs. The Greek word for taxes speaks of the annual tax levied on houses, on lands, on persons. We have that here as well. And so speaking of that major tax that comes in those things, now customs speaks of a tax on goods. And so speaking of sales tax, they're both taxes. They're just different taxes, and we have that as well. And so I'm just lumping those two together because it's this umbrella of <clears throat> excuse me, taxes as a whole. So the first practical way we should submit to and obey our governing authorities is to give the taxes and customs to the government that you owe. You don't need to give them more than you owe. You need to give them what you owe. And this is something that a lot of Christians struggle with. There was a ministry by a guy who did a lot of stuff with creation versus evolution. I thought it was very well done. And he decided, you know what? The government pay, uses my tax money on things that I don't think are biblical. I'm not going to give him money anymore. He's in jail now. Rightly so. He disobeyed this law that God says you shouldn't. <laughs> You need to give the taxes that you owe. And sadly, his ministry that he was doing that was great isn't happening anymore because he wasn't willing to do this. And, and I would agree. I think we pay too many taxes in this country. I think there are money that I give to the government and they use it in a way that I don't like. But that doesn't give me the freedom to say, well, I'm not going to give taxes to you anymore. Jesus as well. When people were trying to get him in a catch-22, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. Yes, you should pay your taxes, but more importantly, you should give to God what's due to him. Uh, and so here is this one practical way. Well, how do we submit to and obey the government? Well, make sure you're paying your taxes. You know, make sure that you're a citizen who's following that. Paul goes on to say, um, did I put that first one up there? Okay, good. Uh, render fear to whom fear is due. Now, we just looked at the reasons why there's should be fear. Remember, God has established the government. One of their big roles is to punish evildoers. God has given the authority and the appointment. They're ministers for God to do that. And that should bring a healthy fear. Hey, you, know, you should have a healthy fear of the police if you're a lawbreaker. 
You should have a healthy fear you know, of the government if you're someone who is going to disobey them. And so, hey, fear to whom fears do. It's good to have that fear because fear keeps us in check. You know, it's often that fear that says, well, I'm not going to do that because of the consequences that come. And so this is another practical way of how we demonstrate obedience uh, and submission as we give proper fear to the government as ministers of God's judgment. And Paul concludes by saying, render honor to whom honor is due. This is the hardest one for us. Now, maybe for some, the taxes is the hardest one because they don't want to part with their money. But I feel like this is definitely the most difficult one for me as I look at this list of giving honor to some of these people that are in positions of authority over us and the, you know, the scandals that are in their life and the wickedness that they have. And, you know, they're just ungodly people. And we're brought to this challenge of rendering honor to them. And I think we just need to remember as we think of this that we need to honor the institution of government that God established. We need to honor the fact that God has appointed and given authority to these people who are governing over us. And there's nothing wrong with disagreeing with the way they govern. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing with their behavior, their beliefs, you know, whatever. But the challenge then is when I feel that way towards them, how do I express that? Am I demonstrating honor or not? <laughs> Kent Hughes wrote this. As Christians, we may deplore the politics of a particular person in office. We may be repelled by his scandalous conduct, but that does not disallow us from respecting the office. The person is just a human, but the office exists at the discretion of God. Even in our descent, we must always be gentlemen and gentle women. I love that quote. Sadly, I don't think if you look at social media, you would be able to throw that quote in there for many. You know, one of the best ways to honor Christian leaders, I know my mom used to always say to me, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I would take it a step farther. If you don't have anything nice to say, you should be praying. Instead of, you know, spewing all the things that you want to say, pray for these leaders that obviously have issues, that obviously have problems, that obviously need God in a big way. And it's something that we're commanded to do. First Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And then notice he gives a specific for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. You know, when you're upset with something that our governing authorities, they've done, they've said, they believe, instead of going to social media and have your social media rant and full of dishonoring words, I would encourage you just to pray. Pray for them. If you really want to see change, and that's the question I even want to pose to you if you're someone who does that, what do you really think is changing when you spew all that out there? I will tell you, nothing. I don't think you're convincing anyone of anything. You're just showing how ungodly you are in the fact that you don't have control over yourself in that. But, you know, we're not changing anything by telling everyone how much we disagree with this or how much we hate this or how much whatever. If we really want to see true change, let's pray. Because that's what's really going to bring change. That's what's really going to help these leaders. And granted, our president needs God. The president before him needed God. The president before him needed God. God is there to help. And we see a lot of problems that are in our government. A lot of different people are ungodly, horrible people. Well, do we want to see them change? Do we want to see them come to Christ? Do we want to see God move in their life? I hope so. Well, then let's pray. Let's spend time to do what we're challenged to do, of lift them up in prayer. And I imagine, you know, what if the church, instead of just voicing their displeasure through social media, actually spent all that effort in praying for our leaders, how much different things would be? And I just throw that out there, because I agree, honoring's hard. Hard to honor those that you look at and think, man, you're just such, all sorts of things come to mind. And we need to be those, and if you have nothing that you can say positive, well, I'm just going to be quiet and pray. But there's not going to be some benefit to me, you know, getting out and typing up and letting everyone know how 
horrible this person is. We just need to be very careful how we speak of those that God has allowed in that position of authority, that God has placed there. We need to recognize what he's telling us to do. So the third practical way we should submit to and obey governing authorities over us is to give proper honor to the governing authorities that God has appointed and given authority over us. So if you have a problem with the government here in America, I'm with you. I got problems with what they do. I got problems with how they spend our money. I got problems with what they believe. I got problems with a lot of things. If you don't like the way they're running things, Feel blessed that you have in our system of government the right to vote, which many people don't have. Feel happy that you actually can allow your voice to be heard in a productive way that can bring change. Be thankful that you are living in a system that allows you to impact it. And I would even encourage you, do what you can within the law to impact the government in a godly way. But just because you don't like them or agree with them does not give you or I the right not to submit to or obey them. It does not give you the right to stop paying your taxes. It does not give you the right to stop fearing them or honoring them. It does not give you the right to stop start breaking the law. There's only one reason that we have for disobedience, and that is when they're clearly asking us to do something that goes against God's word. Let me leave you with this quote by Richard Halverson, the former chaplain of the United States Senate. He said this, To be sure, men will abuse and misuse the institution of the state just as man, because of sin, has abused and misused every other institution in history, including the Church of Jesus Christ. But this does not mean that the institution is bad or that it should be forsaken. It simply means that men are sinners and rebels in God's world. And this is the way they behave with good institutions. As a matter of fact, it's because of this very sin that there must be human government to maintain order in history until the final and ultimate rule of Jesus Christ is established. Human government is better than anarchy, and the Christian must recognize the divine right of the state. So in this section, we have a command. command for many people that's hard. But just like a lot of commands that are hard, we're still called by God to obey it. To submit to, obey our governing authority, except when they ask us to do something that disobeys God. And we have four good reasons to do it and three practical ways to do it. My encouragement to you and to me is that we would actually put it into practice. Let's pray.